Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. We started a conversation last week about the sluggard, and we found out that the sluggard is not just lost, he's lazy. Or he's, I'm sorry, he's not just lazy, he's lost. Uh, he has an aversion to his God-given purpose and design, and so he rejects it. He casts it off. He don't want to be tied down to anything or anyone. And for the sluggard, this leads to weightlessness, this unbearable lightness of being. Uh, the sluggard's nihilistic. He has no sense of meaning or, or purpose uh, in his life. Everything just feels meaningless. And it's not just that he's inactive and lazy. Proverbs 12.11 tells us that he's giving up his responsibilities, leaving them behind and pursuing worthless things. And we notice this in our own lives where instead of recognizing the root problem, we, we try to fill that void of meaninglessness in our own lives. Uh, we, try to, we try to battle slothfulness by pursuing busyness, finding meaning and value in the rush of accomplishment only to crash and to burn out again. We pile heavy demands on ourselves and on others, uh, just thinking we can escape from this cycle on our own, uh, find our own sense of, of meaning and purpose, and still maintain our complete freedom and autonomy. Uh, so the extreme irony of the sloth is that he's simultaneously, he's, he's weightless and light and 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 can't find meaning in his life, and yet he's weighed down. He's, he's, he's under all these heavy burdens because he's still trying to find it somewhere in his life. He's simultaneously light and, 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 and weightless and weighed down. And so we looked at how to escape this, this cycle and said that it's, it's not what we would think. Uh, the world's answer and religion's answer is get up and do something. We tell the sloth, get up and do something. But we saw that this doesn't change the heart of the sluggard. This doesn't change his heart at all. We need something that will retrain our loves, our desires. Something that that retrains it before we we are retrained in good work. Because good work can only be done when we joyfully accept our God-given purpose and design. So I want to make a clarification. We said last week that, that Sabbath was the cure for sloth. And what I want to say is that Sabbath is the first part of the cure. Sabbath is first. It always comes first in this, in this rhythm. Sabbath is first, but it never comes without the diligence and the, and, the, and, the, and the fruit of it and the good work that comes along with it. It never comes without, but it's always first in this cycle, that, as we'll see today. So when Jesus said in Matthew 11, we looked at this last week, how he says in Matthew 11 to these people who are beat down by the world, by these religious people, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And remember, this, this yoke is a, is a metaphor, is a picture for work. Uh, it's, it's a picture of this plowing. So two things are in view here. He's seeing two things, this rest and work, in this picture of this creation ordinance. And it starts 
with resting in the design that he has for us. Ephesians 2 showed us that it's not by works. It's not by works. It's by, it's by, it's by grace through faith. It's a free gift. Sabbath comes first, and yet, what does it say? We are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. We are the result of his labor. And so, Sabbath comes first, and diligence is there with it. We escape the cycle by resting in him, taking on our purpose, and, or taking on his purpose and design for our lives. But even in this, even in the cycle of, of uh, good Christian work, we can find ourselves, it's very hard to rest. It's very difficult to actually make ourselves rest. And so what we, what we tend to do a lot of times is, even for us that are coming over here and, and engaging with God in this work that he's called us into and, and co-laboring with him in this, we try to bridge these gaps right here. And we'll go from this good work that he's called us into and just keep trying to fill it with more and more and more. Just more busyness. And I didn't even say this last week, but the other thing that we try to do sometimes is we'll try and bridge it down here. We'll be engaging in the good work, but then we'll go down here and, and we just crash. And we just say, don't talk to me till Monday. I'm done. And we just tune out until we get back into the work again. But we said last week that these two types of rest are very different. Slothful rest and Sabbath rest are very different kinds of rest. One of them is saying, I don't want anything. Get it off of me. I don't want any responsibility on me at all. The other one is, is a participation. It's, it's an active kind of rest, as we'll see today. It's a participation in affirming the goodness of God and, the, and his creation. So what would it mean to fully engage in Sabbath rest? That's, that's, the, that's the question we're going to try and answer today. So um, we're going back to Genesis again. So open your Bibles to Genesis 1. I want, you to see, I want you to see the rhythm of the Hebrew day. I want you to see the normal rhythm that, that the Hebrew day takes. Um, the, the, the Jewish mindset of the day is very different from ours because it starts at night. It starts in the evening. Uh, if you know anything about uh, the Jews and how they, how, they, uh, how they celebrate the Sabbath, it starts at sundown on Friday and goes until sundown on Saturday because they celebrate on Saturday, but it starts at night. And look in Genesis 1. What happens when God creates? It says he creates, and then it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. He creates, and there was evening and morning the second day. There was evening and morning the third day, all the way through these six days. The evening starts the day. Not the clock, not when it hits midnight, not when the sun comes up. When the sun goes down, that's the new day, according to the Hebrew mindset. And here's the beauty of this. Here's what's incredible about this. The day starts when you are least productive. The day starts when you are about to get ready to go to bed and hit your pillow and drool off into the night. And then by the time you wake up, by the time that the alarm clock rips us out of sleep and we get up and we make our coffee and we try to you know, get our gears going for the day, we are already entering into work that has been going on while you were sleeping. 
We are already halfway through with the day in the Hebrew mindset. According to this Genesis mindset, it starts when you are least productive. And I found this this week. Uh, this is, uh, oh, actually, you know what? Let me go here. Uh, Psalm 127. See, we step into work that's already been in motion. It's not by our own inertia. So Psalm 127, 1 through 2, says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. See, if God is not the initiator of your work, if you're not stepping into work that he's, that he's got for you, if he's not the initiator of it, then you're just spinning your wheels. And I found this quote this week, and this is a book by Eugene Peterson that I read years ago and totally missed this piece, and I was so excited this week when I found this. He says this, this, this Hebrew evening-morning sequence conditions us to the rhythms of grace. We go to sleep, and God begins his work. As we sleep, he develops his covenant. We wake and are called out to participate in God's creative action. We respond in faith, in work. But always, grace is previous. Grace is primary. He says, we wake into a world we didn't make, into a salvation we didn't earn. He says, evening comes and God begins without our help his creative day. Morning comes and God calls us to enjoy and share and develop the work that he initiated. He says creation and covenant are sheer grace and there to meet us every morning. It's beautiful, beautiful here. So we see this normal daily cycle that God initiates. But then we also know that there's a, there's a weekly cycle to it as well. Uh, this weekly Sabbath. And so in Genesis 2... It says, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he's done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, set it apart as holy, because in it he rested from all his work, which he had done, uh, all he had created and made. Now, God didn't stop on the seventh day because he was winded. He didn't stop because he needed to take a breather. We are limited by our need for rest. We are limited there, but God is not. God didn't, he didn't just need a breather. And this rest from work, it was, it was not just a cessation from work. It wasn't just that work was stopping. He ceased his normal activity in order to engage in another one. He set apart the day to affirm what he had already been affirming every day that what he made was good. So you see that God blessed the Sabbath day. He made it holy. He set it apart for a different purpose, not just a day to stop working, but but a day to affirm what is good, a day to worship. This is a creation ordinance, just like the mandate to work that we looked at last week. Both are dynamically in play here. Both this diligent work and this rest, they're dynamically in play. They're part of this purpose and design for which we were made. So Sabbath is rest, but it's also a joyful participation. It's worship, and it provides the framework for our worship. Um, 
the command to obey the Sabbath is the, is, is the fourth commandment in the, in the Ten Commandments. These first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. They have to do with uh, how we worship, how we relate to him. And then the last six commandments have to do with how we relate to each other. And then even when, uh, in, in Exodus, uh, God is telling Moses how to get this temple ready. The, the place where they're going to come and worship him. Uh, where the Israelites are going to come and, and worship. And he's, he's saying, you know, build this, put this lampstand over here, put the bronze over this thing. And at the very end of it, he, sa- he reiterates the call to embrace Sabbath because it's part of our worship. It's, it, it frames our worship. It provides a place for us to celebrate. So Sabbath is about worship. It's also a sign of the covenant. It's a sign that that they were God's people, that they were set apart from the people around them. Exodus 31, uh, God says, You shall surely observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. I am the Lord who sets you apart as holy. So Sabbath was one of the outward signs that the people of Israel were were set apart from the world around them. Uh, now, we're not going to answer every question about Sabbath today. There's way too much to, to try and, and address in a talk. What I want to do today is I want us to see how we can participate. In it. I want us to see how do we practice Sabbath? What does this practically look like in our life? And so instead of going to a normal Sabbath passage, since that's our goal, instead of going to normal Sabbath passage, I want you to see this from the perspective of a psalm. Because psalms are so real. Psalms just show real life. They just show us processing our life before God. They show real life situations, very difficult circumstances. So we're going to go to Psalm 62. Uh, Parts of this we'll kind of fly through and then uh, we'll get into some some meat in here. I want you to see first just just the basic outline, how he sets this up. He starts with this refrain. And he says, my soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. And then he goes into the situation that he's in. David is is very familiar with sticky situations. He's had a lot of them. Uh, The Psalms are full of all these these terrible times he's gone through. And so he's talking about these murderous people and these these people that delight in falsehood. They're, They're blessing outwardly, but they're they're inwardly cursing and conspiring and so he's in a bad situation here but he goes back and he says he goes back to this refrain and says my soul wait in silence for God only my hope is from him he only is my rock and my salvation my stronghold I shall not be shaken now now I don't think that this psalm is necessarily talking about a Sabbath day but it's it's showing us it's giving us an example of these Sabbath Rhythms, what it looks like to embrace these uh, Sabbath rest. What does it look like to wait on God? So what, what does he mean, wait in silence? What does it look like? What does that actually mean? We fall into two very interesting traps here. We're going to go one way or the other that, that they're, they're both dangerous. And he says... Uh, we, we end up going to this, to this side of legalism where, where we go, we, we see the Sabbath as a straitjacket for sanctification. 
we got to stop everything because it's the Sabbath day and we can't do anything today. And it's completely restrictive. And we start piling on more rules. Ever since the Sabbath was, was uh, commanded, there were religious leaders who just kept piling on more, just rule after rule after rule after rule. And they would pile on these rules because I think they were trying to, they, were, they had good intentions. They were trying to, uh, to, to follow this commandment from God. They had good intentions, but they kept piling on these rules. Uh, for example, you can't tear cloth on, on the Sabbath day. That means that if you're a Jew, then you have to uh, either buy your bath tissue in uh, Kleenex boxes or you, you pre-tear it and set it aside beforehand. Can you imagine not preparing well for the Sabbath? I think we've all been in that situation. They, you can't turn on any kind of electricity uh, anything that requires electricity, you can't turn it on. You've got to leave the lights on that you're going to use that day. You've got to leave the lights off that you're not going to use. They even go so far as to say, unscrew the, the light bulb in your fridge. Because if you open your fridge, it's going to be like you turned on a light. So these restrictions here, I think, they were, I think they're trying. I think they're, I think they're trying. But it makes the Sabbath so restrictive. It's like a straitjacket. It makes it so restrictive, that it, it, it just squeezes out the joy that we're supposed to experience in the Sabbath. And the other trap that we fall into is just seeing this as, an, as a day for entertainment, a day for vegging out, just a day off. And look, honestly, if you're not resting and you embrace this kind of rest, you're going to find some benefits from it. You'll see some, some health benefits. You'll, you may even see some spiritual benefits. You may be in a better mood uh, after that kind of rest because we don't rest enough. We need time to play and relax, but this is not the fullness of the Sabbath that God is calling us into. This is not the fullness of it because Sabbath, Sabbath is an intentional, joyful, worshipful act. It's an active rest. It's what one of my favorite authors calls a participation in the Sabbath delight. Meaning it's an affirmation. I'm affirming the good. Where we talked about sloth and boredom last week and how they, they deny the goodness of the world. And understand, when I'm talking about boredom, I'm not talking about situational boredom. I'm not talking about being bored with a uh, circumstance or, or a certain thing. That's normal, that's natural. But I'm talking about an outlook on life that sees life as dull and boring. Sloth and boredom deny the goodness of God, the goodness of the world. Sabbath affirms it. Sabbath celebrates it. Sabbath blesses it. It's worship. This verse, verse 7, I have held on to this for so long. I love this verse. I've shared this with you. Being up here leading worship, I love this verse. This is incredible. This, there's so much life in this. On God, my salvation Look at this, both my salvation and my glory rest. Not just my salvation, which is, I mean, we just sang about it. It's amazing, this is huge. But my glory, my honor, my reputation. I looked up this word for glory. The Hebrew root of it means, means to have a weight, to be heavy. Where the sloth is light and weightless, can't find his meaning, this is saying not only your salvation is found resting in God, but the very weight of your being rests in him. 
the very weight of who you are, the substance of who you are, it all rests completely in him. This is why you have nothing left to prove. You are his masterpiece, his workmanship. You are the result of his labor. It all rests in him. You got nothing to prove. You have this unshakable confidence that David's talking about. When he's in the middle of the situation, it doesn't mean your situation changes. It doesn't mean your situation is necessarily any different, but you have this unshakable confidence and peace in the middle of it. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. It says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. I think trust is probably, at least in my opinion, the hardest obstacle when we're trying to celebrate Sabbath. I think trust is probably, at least in my life, the hardest obstacle to overcome when we're looking at, at Sabbath. Because people are relying on you. People, people expect things from you. There's stuff we got to do. It could be general productivity or it could even be serving Jesus. You know, John Wesley, um, John Wesley had these Wesleyan circuit riders that he organized. And these, these men, they would go throughout, I think it was England and Scotland, and they would ride on horseback and they would, uh, they would work themselves to the bone. They went 90 to 100 hours a week. These guys were worn out. They were young, too. They would start young. And you know, the average life expectancy of these guys was 29 years old. They were worn. I'd be dead. I'd be dead by now. These guys were worn out. They were dropping like flies. You know what they did? They didn't start a conversation about, I think we might need some more volunteers, spread the work out a little bit. And listen, they did some amazing things. These circuit riders did some incredible things. But they didn't start a conversation about, I think we should spread this work around and do things a little bit differently, maybe reorganize. They, instead, they started a fund. They started a word out riders fund. Another activist cause to get involved in. We go and we go and we go, even in serving Jesus. Martha, when she invites Jesus in to her home, when she invites Jesus in and she's, she's working, she's cooking, she's getting all this stuff done and Mary is, you know, her sister is sitting over here on the, on the floor at the feet of Jesus just, just enjoying, just learning from him. And Martha gets mad and she comes over and she's like, Jesus, get this, look at her, she's a bum. Get her off the floor. What's she doing? Jesus says, no. Uh-uh. She's chosen what is good and it's not going to be taken from her. That was Jesus' response. So even in our service to Jesus, we just go and we go and we go constantly. We think of, we tend to think of Sabbath as, as an escape from the serious problems of life and just, just a temporary respite against them instead of the very solution to these problems. Uh, when it says pour out your heart before him, because this is, this is not stagnant. This is not just cessation. This is not just clock out, veg out. This is act 
joyfully pouring out your heart to God in worship, affirming goodness, blessing. He goes on to say, men of low degree are only vanity. Men of rank are a lie, and the balances they go up, they're together lighter than breath. This word right here, vanity, same word we looked at last week, same word from Ecclesiastes. It says vanity of vanities, meaningless, meaningless. This, is a, this word means a vapor, a puff of air. He's saying whether you think, whether you think you're, you're not worth anything, whether you think you're a, a high rank in the world, all men alike, all men and women, everybody, it's all a lie. It's all a puff. It's all this vapor, this chasing after the wind. He's contrasting this, this lightness of being with the weight of glory he talked about a minute ago, with that weighty substance that rests only completely in God. He's making this, this contrast here. We've bought into the lie that we have no limits. Productivity is king. We want to be robots, machines, not creatures. We don't want to be reminded of our limits or our mortality. Uh, Busyness distracts us from it for a time. It hides it temporarily. But rest makes you face head on the reality that this life is a breath. It's a vapor. But we say, I don't need rest. I feel good this week. I'm doing good. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll rest a little bit, but I'll just kind of you know, keep on with some work. I got some stuff I could do. It's not really... <laughs> if you were to guess how many vacation days were, were not used... In the U.S. alone in 2017, just fix a number in your head. If you were to guess how many vacation days went unused just last year, just in America, 705 million vacation days went unused. We have a problem. This is, this, this is just America. This is just, I didn't even look up any other stats. I don't even know how the rest of the world's doing. One in three Americans say that they don't get enough sleep. <laughs> We think we can handle all these things coming at us without God. We, we have become a God ourselves without realizing it. We'd rather be machines than creatures, than human beings. The importance and weight and value in my life comes only when I rest fully in the fact that I am his masterpiece. Now look, this verse ends... In verse 12, loving kindness is yours, O Lord, for you recompense a man according to his work. Why in the world does a psalm about rest end with a promise that you're going to get rewarded for your work? It's because our work is defined in the waiting. Our meaning and our value and our weight is all defined in the waiting. That's where we find it. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. In Sabbath, we find our weightiness, our meaning, our value. We see what's important. Our priorities are set in order. Worship frames our lives and forms us because our hearts are gripped by someone infinitely greater than ourselves. 
And there's nothing inherently wrong, I don't think, with, with vegging out on, on social media and Netflix and, and, and Fortnite and other forms of entertainment in moderation. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong there. But they will never give you meaning and purpose that you're looking for. They can't frame your life and put any weight to it. It may be rest, but it's not Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest, according to Hebrews, takes diligence. Now, the writer of Hebrews I think I'm missing one. Let's see. Let me just get there. Writer of Hebrews is talking about the Israelites. He uses them as a, as a metaphor. And he says this. Just He's talking about the Israelites not being able to enter in. And he, he says, uh, Hebrews 3.18 and 19. And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient, talking about the Israelites, they're not willing to go in and take the promised land. They said there's too many giants, there's this is too hard, we can't do it. They were being slothful and scared. So we see, he says, they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Now this word unbelief is not just a mental assent. It's not, just, it's not just not believing, uh, mental assent to an idea. If, if you look up the word here, it means an unwillingness to commit oneself to another or respond positively to the other's words or actions. In other words, they were slothful. They weren't, they weren't committed. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't taking on God's purpose and design for them. as if it's, it's, it's not saying here that, that as they went through and, and the, the waters parted and they saw the Egyptians buried in it behind them and they saw this pillar of fire going through and they, and they saw God providing with the manna. It's not, it's not that they were just sitting there saying, I don't buy it. I don't believe in it. I don't think that's real. That's not what they're saying. They're not saying they don't believe in it. They're not committed to it. So he says, therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we've had good news preached to us just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Remember when we talked about faith in the spring and we said faith is not just knowledge and assent. Faith is taking, it's, it's the thread that connects what I know about God with what I hope to be true and it steps out and it tests it to see if it holds the weight. That's faith. It's not just a mental ascent. The unbelief in terms of knowledge was not just their, their problem. It was this, it was not united by faith. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, talking about the rest, they failed to enter the rest. He again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, so after so long a time, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't be slothful. Don't procrastinate. Don't put this off for tomorrow. 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest. Be diligent to enter the rest. He's talking about this future rest. But we're, we diligently enter that future rest by diligently entering now, today, while it's still called today. You hear that? We don't follow their example of disobedience, unbelief, the casting off of God's purpose and design for our lives. Staying under the yoke of Christ means committing ourselves to his purpose, plowing, persevering, uh, sticking it out through pain and hardships and trials. It does mean that. Uh, You will get to the end of some days and be dead tired, even if you practice this. You will get to the end of some days and be dead tired. Some seasons will be extremely tiring for you. But listen, Paul says in Philippians 2.17, he says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. I share joy with you all. He's got a different quality about it. The situation hasn't changed for Paul, but his heart has changed in the middle of it. He's got a different disposition in the middle of it. He carries himself in a different way in the middle of it. He's only able to pour himself out for these people because he just said a few verses before in Philippians that Jesus emptied himself, that Jesus poured himself out for us. That's the only way Paul keeps going when he's poured out over and over and over. If you're connected to and abiding in Christ, then the hard work you do and the waking hours will have a different flavor, a different quality about it. You'll get worn out, but you'll get refilled over and over and over if you make Sabbath a regular part of your life. Stay under the yoke of Christ means accepting his purpose for us to work and to rest. Rest in him. Setting aside normal work and entertainment for periods of time where we don't veg out, but we engage in worship and become captivated again by our creator. It's where we find meaning and purpose. And so, diligently entering this rest, it's gonna, it takes a few things. I, I, it's going to take preparation. We should be diligently planning our Sabbath times with the same diligence that we plan our work week. That's what this means. We should be diligently planning our Sabbath times as as much as we plan our work week. Block it out in your calendar. Turn off your phone. Whatever you need to do, but diligently plan for these Sabbath rests. Diligently plan for them. Prepare. Don't be slothful when it's time to work. Some people aren't as busy as they think they are. They're just procrastinate, put stuff off, uh, work sluggishly through the week, stay up late, give up sleep, and it just feels like they can't get everything done because everything piles on to the back end of the week. Work hard when it's time to work so you can rest when it's time to rest. Take baby steps. Look, you might not be in a position where you can have the ideal, where where you can take a whole day. I'm struggling with this right now, uh, being in school, 
working full time, having a kid and a, and a daughter. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling to find out what this means in my life. How I can block out an entire day with no homework or anything and just enjoy and worship. I'm struggling to find out what that means in your life, and I know some of you are too. Start with baby steps. Block out a couple hours. Carve out a couple hours in your week. Start with a worship song. Meditate on it. Pray through Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. So much life in praying the Psalms. Start with baby steps. Communicate. Communicate with your spouse or your parents or your roommates or whoever this is going to affect because uh, just make sure you're on the same page. Me and my wife have already started having these conversations because if, if, you, if you're not on the same page, you end up just looking lazy, uh, feeling guilty, getting in a fight. You'll compromise your rest because of the lack of communication. So communicate your expectations and, and finally just find Find these rhythms. Find normal rhythms, not just, not just the full Sabbath day, but find these rhythms of rest in your life. Jesus regularly got away in the middle of busy crowds. There was always somebody that needed to be healed. But he regularly got away, called his disciples, come away, let's, let's spend time with the Father. So be diligent to enter that future rest by being diligent to enter now. And I'll close with this. Um, I told you part of the purpose of the Sabbath was to set the people apart, to be a sign. And there's a lady uh, by the name of, of uh, what is it, Tish Harrison Warren. She, she writes a book that is, is really good. It's called uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she says this, what if Christians were known as a countercultural community of the well-rested People who embrace our limits with zest and even joy and are workaholic, image-barraged, over-caffeinated, entertainment-addicted, supercharged culture. Submission to our creatureliness is a necessary and often overlooked part of discipleship. What if we were the countercultural community of the well-rested? That people saw that we, we had nothing to prove. That you went into your workplace and whenever the deadline came up and everybody had to work late, you, your joy kept people going. Whenever people are gossiping about the frustrating things that are happening in the workplace, you've always got something good to say about somebody. You may still be competitive in the workplace, but you know what? You're not clawing your way to the top. You're not trying to throw people under the bus in order to get somewhere because you've got nothing to prove. You are his workmanship. On God, my salvation and my glory rest. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for, um, for this word. Thank you for uh, your truth. And God, we, we struggle to find this time, God, to carve it out. We struggle to figure out what that means uh, to just rest in you. And even if we are resting, what we do with that time, God, I pray that you would teach us that, that this would become a discipline for us, that we would embrace it, that we would, that we would, our salvation and our glory, our honor, our reputation, the very weight of our being would rest completely and totally in you. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm-hmm.
Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.